Welcome to Crush of Disappointments. In this episode, I chat to Dan about his crush on Misty from Pokemon, although we actually don't talk about her a huge amount, so that's on me. A positive, though, is that in this episode, I've added bass uh. and treble for the first time, so hopefully this audio sounds nicer than uh, usual. Although I guess I also edited out too much, moved bits around, uh, and it takes me about 10 minutes to ask an interesting question, so just get through the first 10 minutes where... Um, but I, we're setting groundwork, it's important to listen to, I guess. Um, I also try and talk about this thing which has been termed adorkable misogyny, but I don't explain it very well or call it out, so I've put a link in the description to a video which does a better job. I've also learnt a new word, which is either pedagogy or pedag- or pedag- I can't remember. Basically, I say pedagogy, and that's not the right word. No, I say pedagogy? I say pedagogy, and I think it's pedagog- pedagogy. Anyway, I don't get it right. It's the method and practice of teaching, especially as an academic subject or theoretical concept. So we've all learned that together now. I also say, just if I'm listing things now, I also say pseudo bollocks, where I mean to say pseudo intellectual bollocks. So that's also fun. Uh, like now, in this episode, I talk a lot of rubbish in the middle, and at the end, I hijack the whole conversation based on something that I'd heard Simon Pegg say on Adam Buxton's podcast earlier in that day, and so my thoughts on it completely lack nuance. Um, Here's the crush. Do you remember your introduction to Pokemon? Uh, Very vaguely. um, I remember it was sort of early morning, all kids TV, you know, usually sort of Saturday morning sort of thing. Uh, I think it was on CITV, uh, which probably was actually during the week, actually. But I remember being in the living room, and I remember it coming on, and the song was just so catchy. I can hear it in my head now. <laughs> I think I was hooked from that. Mm-hmm. And then actually watching it, like, because uh, Pokemon stands for Pocket Monsters. Uh-huh. I never understood that. I just knew Pokemon because that's the species that they are. Mm-hmm. They are the animals of that world. And I just thought it was just really cool. And like... Uh, <laughs> One of the things I thought was the coolest was the main character, Ash Ketchum, was a 10-year-old boy. Uh-huh. And um, a 10-year-old boy has the or 10-year-old child has the ability, if they're going to choose a Pokemon career, mm-hmm. to leave home and start that on their own. Uh-huh. And I just, uh, I just thought to myself, oh, I would love to do that. <laughs> leave home, do some traveling. Uh-huh. I'd have wild adventures as a 10-year-old. And I'd, like, make all these Pokemon friends and I'd, like, do all these battles and win all these badges and competitions. I thought that was just so cool. And um, I think it came out roughly the same, like, the character was the same age as me. Yeah. yeah. So I think, like, most children's programs or, or any TV programs, if they're a similar age to you, you kind of connect with the character more. Mm-hmm. So I think I kind of connected with Ash putting myself in he, that shoes yeah and i just remember watching that first episode just being enthralled by the whole thing i just thought i'm here yeah. I'm, I'm with you so you say that you were like a similar sort of age to ash yeah i guess i don't think i picked up on how old he was supposed to be like when you said 10 i don't think i realized that until you just saying it then mm. because i don't know if the animation style is i don't they're kind of ageless like he, yeah. he could be anywhere between eight and 30 almost i think um i think it's probably the only time it's basically referenced is either the first episode or the first couple of episodes after that they'd never really reference his age ever again mm-hmm. um they've kept the same characters of replacing them because ash is a bit of a timeless character and just air quotes perfect character mm-hmm. in terms of how he is to just keep following because i think so this is clearly wrong because my memory of it, I can't really recall what his personality was. And I kind of had it in my head that he was kind of like a blank slate that you could kind of put yourself onto. I mean, what what was his character? What sort of traits did you associate with him? I mean, looking at him now, I think he can be quite naive. Mm-hmm. Like any sort of young person, you don't have the knowledge, therefore you makes you naive. Um you're constantly learning, he's constantly learning, bit of a arrogance and brashness, but not in a horrible way, just the arrogance and brashness of youth. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the thrill of adventure and excitement and wanting to just help others. Mm -hmm. I think I connected with him in terms of wanting an adventure, wanting to achieve something better. I was inspired by his courage that he would stand up to all these villains, all these gang members uh, like Team Rocket or like in the, the movies that they've done. He'd be like the one person standing against it all as a leading example. Mm -hmm. Even if like he doesn't see that he's outmatched or anything, he just knows this is what's right. Mm -hmm. You can't do this. Well, we can just be friends. Why can't we be friends? So Ash was an important figure for you. Like, would you say a role model? Was that, would that be fair? Yeah, yeah. And so Misty is the topic of the episode. Yes. I guess what was her relationship to Ash? Who was she? Because I can't really remember who she was. Yeah, so Misty was a schoolboy, young boy crush of mine. She was a redhead. And like a lot of Japanese animation wore very sort of less clothing. Which... Uh, is she still a 10-year-old girl? No, she was older from my understanding. <laughs> okay. I think she was like uh, 13, 14 years old. Okay. I guess you were age appropriate at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I think I was like 11 or 12, uh, okay. roughly. And like... Yeah, I, I knew I liked her. Um, uh -huh. I probably at the time didn't understand sexual desire, uh -huh. but I, I had a fancy for her. Mm -hmm. And like she was, uh, she was drawn as a redhead. How Ash meets her is in the first episode. He's with his first Pokemon Pikachu that he got from the professor that hands out all the new trainers Pokemon. Mm -hmm. And Pikachu doesn't connect with Ash. So he's trying to connect with him. And in the moment of trying to figure something out with Pikachu, he accidentally attacks another Pokemon, a wild Pokemon, which is called a Spearow, which is part of a flock. And none of them take kindly to the accidental attack, and they all charge at Ash and Pikachu, and it becomes this massive chase. And Ash, in his moment of running away, finds a bike, and just takes the bike, and just more or less shouts to the trainer, which ends up being Misty, Sorry, I'm taking the back your bike. I'm going to bring it back. Don't worry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And rides off with it and basically ends up destroying the bike through the chase. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the second or third episode. We see Misty again and she's got her broken bike on the back of her shoulders and she's after Ash and wants to know what's happened to it. And he's going to replace it. Mm -hmm. uh, and she's not going to leave him until he replaces the bike. And that's basically how she joins him. And like, it's a bit of a comical way of her joining, but... So do they, so do they dislike each other? Is it like the standard rom-com of like, they hate each other, so they actually really like each other? Kind of. I, I think from Ash's point of view, like most young boys, can't tell that the girl likes him. Can't pick up any of that. He's here for the adventure. He's a boy. I want the action. Where she, being slightly older, I think did have... Is preying on the small child. <laughs> well, no, if you, if you word it like that, I mean, as you say, the animation makes them look older. And maybe in the Japanese, they are older, hopefully. But <laughs> she starts to get an affinity for Ash. And I, it only slightly hints at it in the show. Never does too heavy. But again, because of the audience they're aiming at, I don't think they do love plots yeah I'd, I'd kind of envision them as being kind of like uh, an asexual bunch i don't recall there yeah. being much like i don't know i don't remember them getting off no 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 there's none of that i mean i remember there was an episode where they're all having like this hot bath and <laughs> no, 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 no. was this a standard episode or is this on some site i think it was the eighth gym that they're after a volcano uh gym and uh they're in the these sort of hot spring water uh, there's this barrier that divides the boys and the girls section. Mm -hmm. And then someone accidentally hits a button which reveals the hidden gym, mm -hmm. but it takes out the barrier and they kind of see each other. Not that you see anything that you shouldn't <laughs> do in terms of skin. Um, Misty's already got a towel wrapped around her, even though she's in the, the bath. And the guys have got their swimming shorts on. Mm -hmm. But as soon as the barrier comes down... There's, it pulls to a wide pan where you're looking at the scenery, not the characters, and you just hear massive screaming for both the boys and the girls. So this is a scene that you wrote, or this is from the no, actual... No, no, <laughs> it's not a scene I wrote. I, I never, like, write anything for Pokemon. Okay. 
Uh, it's a scene from the actual program. But, no, yeah, so she's quite an aggressive character, whereas Ash, very excited young lad. Uh-huh. Um, but again, for the age of the audience that they're aiming at, as they don't do love plots, she they hint at her liking him in a way, mm-hmm. but he doesn't really notice, yeah. and he just cares about his Pokemon adventure. I, I guess, I mean, tell me if you think this is complete crap, but I think maybe I could see how that could add to a crush for a... 10 to 11 year old kid in the sense that I guess if you were watching a show that was made for an an old age range and their relationship was more sexual I don't think I would have understood it sufficiently and actually would have been quite intimidated and put off by it but if you have this sort of playful childhood almost like schoolyard relationship that almost perhaps even reflects your sort of feelings towards girls at school where you're kind of like you don't fully understand why you really want to spend time with this person it could maybe reflect that more than yeah yeah i think there's more truth to your statement than not i was a very shy kid in school and i i i was terrible i i wouldn't talk to again unless i it was just gonna be on a friend level mm-hmm. and i do remember when i was in my junior school i i did have this fancy for a young lady named chelsea and i remember I I told my close friends that I had a fancy for this Chelsea. Mm-hmm. And on the last day of year six, when we'd all go to our secondary schools, mm-hmm. I think my mate told her, because he knew I was going to chicken out. Mm-hmm. And she sat next to me during one lunch break. And we sat there for like 10 seconds, which felt like a lifetime. Mm-hmm. I looked at her. She looked at me. I looked away, holding my breath because I didn't know what to say. Mm-hmm. And she sort of just eventually got up and walked away. <laughs> uh, I just sat there with a big sigh and I thought, oh, I should have asked her and I didn't. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's normal because um, I remember, I don't know, even up to being, I guess, mid-teens or even, I don't know, maybe even till a couple of years ago, I am um, like, I don't know, felt attraction to people or liked people but didn't even know what a I don't know, what a girlfriend would look like, mm. or like especially like if you're at school and maybe you don't I don't don't live near each other, like you need to get your like parents to take you to go and see them. I just I couldn't even envision what a school like a teenage relationship would look like. I, I don't know what I'm, what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, I I I I think I understand what you're saying. When I was much younger, um, in terms of like dating it uh at a young age i mean i i knew i liked girls and i wanted to be with a girl uh-huh. i had no idea what i would have to do with a girl yeah. um and i like I, I saw these programs as you get older even like from pokemon um you go and do something with them uh-huh. like something fun and activity but i also knew from a young age you kind of need money to do things yeah. my source of money as a child was my mum mm-hmm. she's the one who provided money and like I thought, oh, surely I'm going to look rubbish. Like, I don't have any money. I have to go, oh, mum, mummy, can you, can you drive us here, as you say? Or, or can you give me money for films? Mm-hmm. And I wasn't one for, like, hanging around in the park. And because I think I was quite shy and nervous, I suppose I didn't really consider, like, speaking to a girl like you would a friend. Mm. I, I figured you have to speak about, I don't know, I had no idea what you yeah, speak yeah, to yeah. them about. Like, you would have to be boyfriend girlfriend talk but i don't know what that is Mm -hmm. whereas i suppose the bit of the imagination as a young boy watching pokemon you didn't kind of have to worry about that too much Mm. because they had a character named brock who was the oldest of the three uh who you followed ash misty and brock he knew how to cook he knew how to sew he was the self parent figure Mm -hmm. but like when he would see a beautiful woman generally in the show, any woman. Mm -hmm. And it had to be, they were women. They weren't young girls. They were women he was attracted to. They would do the goofy cartoon. (laughs) There's even lots of issues of consent in terms of Well, you know, they had to do something, you know, right. Uh, Again, yeah, he would would get the cartoon goofy heart-shaped eyes. Mm. He would just be smitten with them. He'd be saying poetry. Mm -hmm. Uh, He'd be showing off in front of them. And everyone else would just, like, hang their head in embarrassment, like, wow, this is someone we call our friend. This is embarrassing. Come away. Leave the poor lady alone. Come on. So he, he wasn't 
a guy who was successful in dating in the show. He was no. a guy who maybe thought he was. Yeah, he he tried his best to date, uh, or even probably have a date with a woman. Uh-huh. But as far as I'm aware, never ever had a date. Okay, he just stuck to the friendship between Misty and Ash and carried on the adventure with them. Mm-hmm. And then I guess you would have been watching other shows, but in, I guess in that sense, you feel like you don't have um strong role models in how to be i guess when you're it's difficult because it's such a bizarre age like because you're not like pubescent are you pubescent at that age i don't even know like it's it you, you haven't got i mean i i in terms of myself i actually developed early uh and hit puberty early <laughs> okay bit, bit of a bit of a uh, bio on Dan there uh-huh. and kind of when I was about 10 or 11 so about this time I hit puberty so I was having the, my voice break I was having hormones raging mm-hmm. uh, so all of that was going on inside me okay. uh, so most people obviously have it a bit later on when it more firmly into their teens mm-hmm. I had it when I hit secondary school which you're about 10 or 11 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm having all this going on. I had a, a, a crush on Misty, um, not really understanding a whole bunch of things. Yeah, I guess that would be the confusion, wouldn't it? Because if you're someone who is going through puberty and you're finding like sexual attraction, but your role models for romance are so inept, like Ash is, such a, is a small kid and isn't able to sort of process that. And Brock is kind of... Um, using pickup techniques which are seen as being like naff you don't have a figure for to understand how to be someone who engages in uh romance even as a kid i guess is that fair i think that's very fair to say as i said i i was really shy i didn't know how to talk to anyone Mm -hmm. um because from chelsea uh from my primary school crush into secondary school i developed a crush on a girl that actually lived on our street. Uh-huh. Her name being... Oh, I want to... You don't say people's names. Okay, I want to say her name. But she lived on our street. And again, I wouldn't know how to talk to her, but she was part of the group, I suppose what you could call the air quotes again, popular girls. Mm-hmm. And the popular boys, they all sort of hung out with each other. And the type of boy that she seemed to be, well, from my observation from far away... Mm-hmm. Uh, the more aggressive, more loud, I suppose the more macho kind of guy, mm-hmm. instead of the shy, timid young man I was. So that made it more intimidating for me to try and be, because I knew it's something I would never be. Mm-hmm. I'm not a macho man. So as you say, I didn't really have romantic role models mm-hmm. to learn from. And I, I suppose maybe this is another reason why I've only just thought of it now might have had a crush on Misty because she had an affinity for Ash, but it was never seen or recognized. Mm-hmm. I felt something similar to her in mm. that regards that I have these feelings. I don't know what to do with them. Yeah, Nothing's reciprocated. I understand where Misty's coming from. Mm-hmm. So that might be another um, reason why I have a crush on her. Had, yeah. had a crush. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, because it's it's such a uh, it's a time where everything feels massive, doesn't it? all your emotions. Um, I oh God, I'm going to try and do a point which I feel like I might fuck up, but um, go for it. Let's see what happens. Because it's such a like, I haven't quite worked out how I feel about this. It's it's almost like so I feel like I was quite similar in that I was a kid at school, even even teenagers. Let's, let's say let's put me at like 16 in this scenario, mm-hmm. so it's all sort of above board. But um, who was like nerdy and wasn't able to talk to girls particularly well. And I would watch like films like Spider-Man is my big example mm. where I feel like you have a lead who is a nerdy kid. But then by the end of the film, he ends up with the hottest girl in school. Yeah, And I feel like I developed some gross sort of entitlement where I felt like I was the downtrodden kid who was being who wasn't getting a shot with the with the girls when actually 
there wasn't the sort of the social hierarchy that you see in these American films where you have like the jocks who are dickheads. Mm. They were, there might have been guys who were more popular than me in school, but they weren't dickheads. They were just, I was as much of a dickhead in my own circle than yeah. they were. And so this, this weird sort of, um, having entitlement is the, where like you think of a, a feeling like I was, I was owed a girlfriend because I was one of the nice guys. And you see this as like yes. a thing that people talk about on the internet, this kind of like this gross nice guy. And, well, in, and just bouncing off of what you're saying there, in terms of nice guy, I don't know if you ever had, but uh, in groups of female friends that I later on developed in my secondary school and outside and afterwards, I got a lot of, from my female friends, oh, you're such a nice guy, why can't I have a guy like you? And it's kind of like, oh, I'm a guy like me, mm. I am me, do you not want me? What what's wrong with me? I, you say you want everything, like me, and like they start listing off traits that you know you possess and that you've shown, huh. and the only thing you can think of, at least I thought of, was do I not look the way you want? Uh-huh. And the odd female friend that I I knew or may have had a conversation like this with, their type of guy, as you would say maybe the dickhead, the jock-type dickhead, um, the the possibly muscular or the bad boy image, and yet there's no niceness to them whatsoever. Maybe they are privately. Yeah, see, yeah I guess I'm saying the complete opposite thing, where I'm saying that I don't think... I think that was in my head that I perceived them as being... I mean, clearly there are... Like, clearly there's just good people, there's people who are dickheads and people are. <laughs> but I feel like... Uh, I don't know. I I don't think I saw it as being as clear because that, that's the image you're sold in films that you have um, the or TV series where you'll have the male protagonist who's really into this girl and she's dating this guy who's an absolute dickhead and you're almost to the point where you're like, why is she with him? He like the protagonist that we all love is such a better guy, yeah. but I don't think that is real because well, it's I don't it's definitely not real because then because <laughs> like that she becomes like a prop in that instance in which because they i don't know i just feel like i feel like the these nerd guys who perhaps weren't weren't socially skilled in school mm. but take it's it's here this it i'm funny here so the it's it's the beginning of the social network where um mark zuckerberg's on a date with rini mara's character mm-hmm. and she says something like you're going to think girls didn't like you because you're a nerd. It's not. It's because you're an asshole. And that hits me as so much of where I think I was as a teenager and where I see a lot of guys now having a... I'm just repeating myself now by saying entitlement, but does that kind of make sense? It's kind of like... What did those words ring true to you then? Like, they're uh, not liking you because you're a nerd because you're, uh, air quotes, assholes. Yeah. I think so. I think it was... What am I trying to say? It's such a point that I haven't quite got my finger on. That's why I'm struggling with it. I mean, it's it's interesting. The it sounds a little similar, not quite. Um, and you might think differently altogether. Uh, there was a TV show called Stargate Universe, and my favourite character was one named Eli, if I remember correctly. And he was like really intelligent. He was the stereo- stereotypical look for a nerd in terms of he didn't have glasses, but he was overweight, mm-hmm. wore lots of sort of like uh, nerdy type tops, mm-hmm. uh, fancied this politician daughter who was helping lead the project of uh, Stargate Universe. And she's really beautiful, really hot, really smart, uh, got on well with Eli, but she went with this military man. I think his name was Scott in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a bad guy at all. Actually a really decent guy, Fairly heroic in his own right. And those two had a relationship. And there was a point when both Eli and this politician lady were at a bar drinking. And like she starts saying to him, you know what, Eli, you know, you know what you are. And she said the line that most guys, or at least I uh, reconciled with, uh, even if it was never said to me, I had versions of it. You are a good friend. And it sort of just hit you home that this girl that you're fighting for, like he was, maybe he could have done more, 
but he was generally trying to fight for her. Couldn't get her. Even to a guy who wasn't a bad guy. She was just more into the, him. Yeah, see, I, I think I would interpret it the other way again, where I would see him as being... Because that's I, I would imagine that's a show that was written by like guys who had that same entitlement that I had. And actually, she he doesn't have any right over her for her to say that to be in a relationship with him. This idea that he's been... Like the idea of the friend zone or... It, I think that's gross and I think we're fed it as a kind of like an idea of it's something that's been done to you it's it's like people are entitled to make their own decisions of course and this for him to feel bad about that sure like you're entitled to feel sad that someone doesn't reciprocate your emotions but don't I mean let it go I think like I think then that's when oh, it builds and it becomes toxic and I think that's when is learning to close a chapter because uh, someone once said to me because obviously uh, there's this mythos, if you want to call it that, uh, of the one person, mm-hmm. the one that's for you, your soulmate and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, someone once said to me that they do believe in the one, mm-hmm. but they believe there is multiple the ones, which I've spoke to a few people of my friends. Seems to get a very different response when I, I bring it up. <laughs> um, so apologies if that causes a massive debate on here. But in terms of you can find someone, fall in love, have this great relationship, then whether it be on their part, your part, something's now not working and the relationship ends. And then you meet someone else. You have the exact same feelings, different feelings, but the love that you had for the first person, it's new, but it's the same deep connection that you had before. Mm -hmm. And you now love this person, maybe the same, if not more. Mm -hmm. Does this mean the last person was any less the one person that you were originally prepared to spend your life with? Or is this person the true one? And this is what the person who was trying to get at to me is, they don't believe there is the one. There's multiple the ones for you. I mean, I really don't. I, that sounds like pseudo-bollocks. Oh, really? Because <laughs> like, uh, the, 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 them... I mean, it, it's a contradiction in terms in itself to say there's multiple ones. But I, I, I sort of see the point, though. I sort of... um. I was just, do you know Dan Savage? No. He's like a, I guess, a relationship or sex blogger, I guess. And he was talking about this idea of the way that we value relationships or we see a successful relationship mm. is one where, which you get together, you stay together, one of you dies. And that's seen as being a success because it never ended. But yeah. actually, if, if I um, spent a week with a person and we had a really intense understanding of one another went away from that, we never saw each other again. That is in itself a successful relationship. And so this idea of presuming that one of you has to die for it to be a valid experience is, I don't know, misguided, I guess. I feel like he probably said something more sophisticated than that. But, <laughs> but that was the gist you got. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose so. Um, as I said, it mythos of the one. Uh, I've spoken to people that don't believe there is a one. You find someone that you well, do you have. Do you believe there's a one? I used to. Um... I do believe you can find someone, probably why I lean towards this, there's multiple other ones, but I do believe you can find a connection with someone and you can be prepared to call this person the love of my life. I'm prepared to marry you, stay with you for the rest of my life. In terms, do I believe there is the one? Probably not anymore, but I do (laughs) believe you can find someone uh, whether that relationship will succeed or not uh-huh. and have as you say that deep connection and hopefully it just goes as long as it can yeah I mean I think I've, we're not going to come to any reconciliation on this because we're on such no, different we're pages not, yeah, we are. <laughs> I, just, I just feel like was it billions of people in the world and the idea that only like a handful of them could work for you I feel like under any circumstances billions of people would be able to connect with you I mean the idea that it happens that the one happens to be um, someone who lives in the same country as you, perhaps even the same street, speaks the same mm. language, be the same age, is very, very convenient as an idea. I mean, I've, I've heard stories, you've probably heard stories, somebody's met someone in a bar, looked at them, knew they were going to marry them, uh, and then the, in itself, that relationship might end, but they knew in that moment they were going to be with that person and marry them. Um, I've heard plenty of stories like that. Because they're psycho killers, though. <laughs> is it? <laughs> Well, that's that's a bit uh, more intense, you know. And that's an obsession, maybe. 
uh, and obsessions end, but relationships end. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting concept. I don't think it's a conversation or an answer that will ever be answered. I mean, I've answered it. There is no idea the one. It's ridiculous. Oh, you, you, <laughs> you've answered it. Yeah, I've sorted it. We put it to bed. The Matt, great, the, the love gr- guru. The great philosophers of the world all got together <laughs> and they all sort of nodded and was like, yeah, that seems about right, Matt. But um, should we try and drag us back to Pokemon? Yeah, let's go back to Pokemon. Um, so you were talking about the, the sort of the different traits of Ash, Misty and Brock. Mm-hmm. So this is from Pokemon Exploring the Role of Gender by Shirley M. Ogletree, Crystal N. Martinez, Trent R. Turner and Brad Mason. It is important to understand and monitor changes in the depiction of male and female characters in children's cartoon programming, especially in those shows that are very popular and potentially most influential. Depictions of male-female heroes and heroines may influence children's gender constructions and their framework for considering what behaviours are appropriate and desirable for each sex. These constructions may ultimately impact the gender roles of men and women in society. So I wish I could remember the, the gender, t- the, the sort of characteristics that you were labelling out as them. So Ash, I would say, had like the leadership heroic kind of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brock was the wise one with obviously the silly love comic relief. And then Misty had this strong independence, bit of a fiery attitude, but mm-hmm. in the moments that require it, had a tenderness. And so then there's two other characters that get mentioned here who are Jesse and James, who are like the, the villains. Ah, yes. How would you describe their characteristics? Um, they, they presented themselves as a threat to our heroes, almost on an episode-to-episode basis. But what made the characters good was the fact that they themselves actually had personalities. And you find out they're not actually just bad people. Mm -hmm. Yes, they do bad things, and they kind of enjoy it. Mm -hmm. But they don't actually look to hurting anyone. Mm -hmm. Um, James always sort of had this so sophistication about him he spoke sophisticated and you find out he actually came from a rich family mm-hmm. that he had everything and he left left because decisions were being made for him mm-hmm. but he had this beauty about him he always sort of carried a rose when he was they do their team rocket poem introduction mm-hmm. and he would always speak kind of softly with a very poshness to him mm-hmm. whereas jesse again quite the strong independent woman the leader, I would say, of that duo. Mm-hmm. She and herself, she she loved all pretty things. She liked cute things. And she and herself, I don't think they, they delved on it too heavily. But if you picked up on it, she looked for recognition from people. Mm-hmm. So she would enter competitions for like beauty pageants, uh, fashion things. But because she has this fiery attitude, again, she's got caught up in the world. In found someone who sort of like follows her and recognizes her mm. and they sort of like symbiotically help each other personality wise mm-hmm. so i think actually you've actually so this um so pokemon exploring the role of gender i think i'm getting this right they got two groups of i think kids certainly one was a young group of kids and one was slightly older they may have even been college age i'm not quite sure and sort of asked them to um specify what they felt the traits were of the characters and what they were sort of learning about. And then the um, the authors sort of put together what the kids were learning about gender. Mm-hmm. So James, the male bad trainer, was rated lowest of the four trainers on some typically masculine traits, such as strength, assertiveness, controlling, certainty, and being a leader. So I guess that picks up on what you were saying with Jesse being the leader of that group and strength and assertiveness. I think you were saying were qualities that Ash had. Yes. Um, um, he was rated as being more unsure and passive than Ash, the male good trainer, and Jesse. Jesse, the female bad trainer, was rated as the sexiest and the most aggressive of the four trainers. I think you said aggressive yes. as, a, as a word. Ash, the male good trainer, was rated more important than the other three trainers, whereas Misty, the female good trainer, was rated as more romantic than the others. Yes. In the current study, though, these non-stereotypical gender role findings may be due to the portrayal of James, the male bad character, and Jesse, the female bad character. James is rated as traditionally feminine on a number of characteristics, being weak, unassertive, controlled, tentative, unsure, passive, and a follower. One interpretation is that James became even more bad by being portrayed in a feminine way. 
Jesse was portrayed as the most aggressive of all the characters and less frail and more of a leader than Misty, the good feminine character. So I think the argument here was that while uh, Misty and Jesse had positive characteristics that were contrary to traditional gender stereotypes, some of this was felt to be a reflection of, if you flip them, if you have James, a male character who doesn't exert these strong male characteristics, that shows him to be a bad guy in the same way that he demonstrates female characteristics makes him a bad guy. I guess you wouldn't have been thinking about this as a kid, but just with the two seconds I'm going to give you now to form an opinion on it, do you feel there's anything in that where you felt you were getting a version of masculinity that you felt was something that you aspired to, where you would feel like James was something that was pushed as being a negative idea of masculinity? Oh, um, I mean, that's a very interesting view. I mean, you saying it now from the quotes... I can see that. I don't think I consciously picked it yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to be fucking genius to remember, like, <laughs> as the kid, the ten-year-old kid, being like, "I think this is forming my gender associations." <laughs> I mean, only looking at it as an adult, you can see, like, as you say, James, who is a villain, who was weak in personality, never had the ability to make a decision, followed Jesse did a lot of poems, did actually cry a lot in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, that was perhaps paid for laughs, as you say. Like if Paid he- for laughs, uh, occasionally maybe shown as weak. Mm-hmm. But when he would try and, I suppose, be masculine, more times than not, is either him trying to be a heroic moment or a villain moment. Mm-hmm. And he would come off either really cheesy, silly, or he would be unsuccessful. So... Probably on a unconscious level, yeah, I think it was portrayed very heavily as a weak man. Mm. And it, and it's more. I should have got a quote about this because I feel like it's it's quite common in uh, media for this to be the case. It's the idea of you know when you have um, like British villains. I feel like it's actually more can be more specific than that where it's like an effeminate British villain. And if you, like in Disney films, if you take someone like Scar or Jafar, these are kind of guys who, yeah, have this kind of, um, they're not stereotypically masculine in a sense, and we seem to deem them as villainous. And perhaps the most powerful female characters, if they're the villains, they're, well, they're villainous as well. It's kind of a sense of the reversal of these roles almost being a perversion mm. and that you you should stick to this particular gender mold that is being set out for you i think perhaps i think that's a fair statement to say i mean did as a kid did you do you recall any times of feeling like you, like you had to act a certain way being a guy um yes but i'm not sure that was ever due to television i mean i mean i did like james but i knew he was a bad guy mm-hmm so I think I, I knew that these masculine men that I knew in my family and I've seen on TV and film, mm-hmm. these are the sort of men I'm supposed to be like. Yeah. Like you had to have a pint in your hand mm-hmm. and like I bring home the meat and all that. Yeah. And like you'd go to the pub, you'd have a laugh, <laughs> big chunky jewelry. That is kind of the role models of gents I had and like the guys wouldn't ask for directions. They wouldn't ask to help fix something or, or get a guy who can fix it. Mm -hmm. Whereas being sensitive, being kind of poetical crying Mm -hmm. is bad. Mm -hmm. Men don't do that. Yeah. That I knew from a very young age. Maybe I didn't know the ifs, the buts, the know hows, Mm -hmm. but I knew I wasn't really supposed to be like that. Mm. So, yeah, again, I, I I, think I knew on some level how not to be a man mm-hmm. and how I should be a man, but could never achieve that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only until I got older did I think, like, I don't really care. Yeah. I am who I am. Doesn't make me any less of a man. In fact, I think manliness is depending on the person. So so I, I think manliness and modern day men, there's a lot of grooming. A lot of men care about their appearance. Mm-hmm. Whereas 
when I was growing up, men didn't. That mm. was considered more of a feminine thing. Mm. But now, it, because a lot of things I think are turning on their heads or being more acceptable mm-hmm. in society, men do care about how they look. Mm. Men are doing facials. Men are getting manicures, pedicures. They're doing all this grooming facially, uh, hair, because they want to look nice. Mm. Whereas before, a man had to look grizzled. He had to look almost unkept. Uh, He had to be just hairy, not groomed. He had to not necessarily be muscular, but show that he is a man. He can provide and be the big dog, if you will. Mm. And going back to Pokemon, James never portrayed any of that. Um, I don't think any of our main characters, whether it be James, Brock, or Ash, exude manliness. Mm-hmm. It's the men they encountered, uh, whether they be one-off villains or whether they be men they had to just battle and then actually find out they're not bad men either. Mm. I guess there would probably be something in the fact that they're children, and so that would mean they wouldn't be. Um, I don't know, like them encountering Charles perception. Yeah, well, like them encountering men, you would make them. I don't know, dominating. Uh, yeah, I guess so. To sort of like um, show up the power dynamics of yeah. how like, you got kids versus adults. But um, it was interesting what you're saying about um, like hair and grooming and stuff, because I. It might be two years ago now, but stay with me. I remember I went to like a Turkish barber for the first time. Mm. And afterwards there was like a, they sort of like dunked my head in the sink in front and like shampooed my hair and like washed my face. And I I came out of it and I just felt so zen for like the rest of the Mm. day. Like I just felt so relaxed. And there was a point where I was like, God, I I get this whole idea of like spas. And it felt like a space that had been, even in this very masculine space of like the Turkish barber, I suddenly felt, felt like I'd been denied this this central like pleasure for like bullshit reasons. Like, I I I still I, like I haven't even been to a spa like, but I would I felt like I would enjoy it. But even knowing that I would enjoy it, I still felt a sense of there being a I don't know. Like, it would be it would bruise my masculinity to go yeah. if I didn't go with a woman because yeah. then it would feel like I could show it off to people and be like, yeah, I just went with like. Joe and we had a good right time, but like it actually like why it would be a, an experience for me, and so I think that was um, I guess still as, as someone who likes to think of myself as being um, able, not, not confined by like masculinity. I still I, I still like, occasionally put myself in this sort of cage where I I can't just be. Yeah. I guess I think I think men still do it, even men who are comfortable in themselves. I because you've got your group of mates who may be more manly than you, mm-hmm. but. You know, you all accept each other and whatnot. But if you said, I went to a spa, Mm -hmm. felt so relaxed, Mm -hmm. I feel refreshed like a new man. These friends of yours, uh, masculine friends, even if it is out of jest and good faith, make the odd joke. Even if you have a laugh with them, say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Subconsciously, you may not be so quick to incline to try it again because... And I think, again, this is something from how we grow up. Bullying. Mm. Teasing. So it can be from an uncle. It can be from a granddad, from your dad. You do something and they're like, "Uh, what are you doing there, son? Mm. Uh, Is your mom taking you to do that? Oh, come with me, son. I'll show you how to be a true man. Mm -hmm. Don't don't become like your mom. Don't become like your sister. So, again, that sort of teasing from a young age, I think, implants that when you're older... If someone does make the old jester and joke, and you know it's a jester and a joke, mm-hmm. but I think it does put a small thought in the back of yeah. your mind that might maybe delay the next time you actually go. Mm-hmm. Be like, mm, I do remember, but I, I, I don't, I, yeah, I don't feel like it this time because maybe you know a joke will be made again. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I guess in the same way that the show laughs at James when James cries or when James yeah. shows emotion, it's like, this is something that you will be picked on if you do this. Do not do this. Yeah. And I guess what you're saying with the whole teasing thing, I think I've um, I I've found that if I'm in a, a group of people that I don't know, actually, I do this, actually, when I, if I meet a new group of guys, hmm. I try and work out the room pretty quickly, but I yeah. will change my voice. Like if I'm in a if I'm like in a group of guys who I would think are a bit more laddie, I'll go a bit more like this and sort of <laughs> and it's 
I catch myself doing it. Mm. Or, and then if I, I don't know, I've actually, maybe if you counteract it with assertiveness, people tend to respect that. So I guess I, I've, I've mentioned to you, I'm really into this um, TV show called Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which yeah. is like a musical show. And so not something that would fall into like typical, like masculine um, pursuits. But then if you, if, if when I tell people about it, if I go full on like this show is great, or I might even like change it and like this show is fucking great. Or like if they call me out on it, call them like go really hard and call them a cunt back. Yeah. Like that's something where it feels like you, I'm almost like reclaiming it or like or, or almost having to put up a show of being masculine to allow myself to have this like feminine yeah, yeah. bit, I guess, which I guess is maybe I'd hopefully maybe wouldn't get to a point where, you, where I feel like I have to do that. But, um, yeah, you, you put up all these defences to kind of not let anyone attack you, I guess. I think you're right. And um, I, I would consider my, my brother Richard quite more of a man-man than me. Mm-hmm. And I think he'd probably agree with that. <laughs> um, and I'll, I'll give an example. I went out with him and his group of mates who are more laddish than he is, uh-huh. but he can quite easily merge into that group. Uh-huh. And we all went out for his birthday and... I know there was like nine of us all together. Eight of them all chose pints, uh-huh. pints of beer, got round to me. I chose a Smirnoff Ice, uh-huh. an Alcopop, not a beer, not something a man would drink. Yeah, and something that I can, having this conversation, if I was in that circle, it would be something that I would probably raise. I would probably pick on that person who did yeah. do it. Like, it would be something Everyone I would do. Everyone did. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I felt quite fine saying my drink mm-hmm. because... I don't always like how beer tastes. Yeah. And I just thought, I didn't feel like I wanted to get drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, and my brother, the look of laughing and disappointment was like, my little brother coming out with his big brother on his birthday. We can all drink. We can all have a laugh together. Has chosen a weak drink. And like all the guys jumped on me, as you say, like uh, saw the opening, went for the teas. Mm-hmm. My brother went to the bar, him and a few other friends, came back with a load of drinks. Everyone got dished out the drink, and I was given a pint. Uh And my brother says to me, in a very comical way, like, Dan, I got to the bar, the barmaid went to me, what can I get you? And I just couldn't, Dan, I couldn't, for the life of me, say, eight pints and a Smirnoff ice. Uh I had to go nine pints. And that's what I got. I got a pint and I, I drank with the rest of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I, I was fine, but I don't, I don't think I was influenced by that. But maybe on a subconscious level, I just thought just to avoid it and keep the night moving, I won't drink this man off ice. Mm. So I guess still staying on the kind of like um, gender, masculinity, what's um, mm-hmm. acceptable for boys and girls. So this is from David Buckingham and Julian Stefton Greens. Got to catch them all. Structure, agency and pedagogy in children's media culture. So the themes of the cartoon and the activities entailed in the game incorporate stereotypically masculine and feminine values. Thus, the game is about collecting and competing, but it's also about nurturing and cooperating. Hmm. In order to succeed, the game player has to capture all 151 Pokemon species, but she, he, also has to look after them and train them in special skills in order that they can evolve or grow up, somewhat in the manner of Tamagotchi, another toy whose appeal appeared to cross gender boundaries. So... I've probably specified. So this is in relation to the Game Boy game of Pokemon. Yeah. So did you feel like because there was a collecting and competing element that was sort of stereotypically masculine, that you were able to enjoy like the nurturing and cooperating aspects where perhaps if that had been the only aspect, it would have been deemed feminine, but the game was seen as more gender neutral. So it allowed you to engage in activities that you wouldn't have been able to otherwise. I suppose so. I mean... Uh, in in the game, I caught a Magikarp, mm-hmm. which doesn't evolve until level 20, doesn't get a fighting move until level 15, and has this rubbish splash attack that does basically nothing. Mm-hmm. So you have to sort of constantly throw that Pokemon in the forefront and then replace it with a Pokemon that can fight. And then when you defeat said Pokemon or trainer that you're against, the experience would be divided between them. And you have to have to work hard. And like, because I put that time and the effort into the, like my Magikarp, when he did sort of get his fighting ability, when he did evolve into a Gyarados, 
I felt such pride. Mm-hmm. And like, he was probably one of my second or third favorite Pokemon because of the effort I put into it, because of the hard work. So I really enjoyed that aspect. And I did enjoy training them, leveling them up. Um, and in terms of the competition wise, I, I mean, maybe I did, but I never really saw the competition part. Mm-hmm. I saw achieving something. Mm-hmm. I, I saw beating this person. Uh, and at times it'd be like this Pokemon of mine, whatever said Pokemon, let's say Gyarados, beat that person. I know I've nurtured it to that point. So this is obviously a more feminine view. And it's won, won the fight. Mm-hmm. And I'd feel quite proud that I've achieved that with this Pokemon. Or, yeah, I don't think I ever really did it for the competition side. Mm-hmm. It was more of the, the end game, the achievement. So I think th- this I found really interesting. So this is from Anne Allison, Portable Monsters and Commodity Cuteness. Pokemon is Japan's new global power. So in designing the Pokemon Game Boy game, Tajiri Satoshi had two motivations. One was to create a challenging yet playable game that would pique children's imaginations. The other was to give kids a means of relieving the stresses of growing up in a post-industrial society. Born in 1962, Tajiri shares the opinion of many in his generation that life for children today is hard. In this academic record society, the pressure to study, compete and perform starts as early as birth. Space and time for play has diminished. And in an environment where everyone moves fast to accomplish more and more every day, the human relationships once so prized in society have begun to erode. Increasingly, people spend more time alone, forming intimacies less with one another than with the goods they consume and the technologies they rely upon. Cell phones, Walkmans, Palm Pilots, Game Boys. So I guess, do you recall, I don't know, a constant pressure to study, compete and perform? And did you feel like the game alleviated that? I mean, in terms of my childhood away from... I mean, we all had sports day, so that's a competition thing. I suppose in some ways in school, your grade, like A, B, Cs, mm-hmm, yeah. is a form of competition in itself. Yeah, I think that's what's been implied, yeah. Um, whether it be to yourself, uh, you got to get an A if you want to be better, mm-hmm. if you want to achieve more. People won't even look at you if you've got like a D. Mm-hmm. So again, you had to be sort of smart and intelligent, but I mean, I'm dyslexic and I've never considered myself dumb. Mm-hmm. I may not be the most educational person smart, mm-hmm. but I can probably tell you things about um, acting that you may not know. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I enjoyed playing computer games because there was a challenge to it. Mm. In terms of, of of like the Game Boys stuff, I I I sought solace in that because people enjoy reading. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed playing that, and that was my escapism. Mm-hmm. That was my enjoyment, and I could enjoy it. And I would get angry if I would have to stop it. Yeah. So I suppose if if someone was told to stop reading a good book, I suppose you could put a bookmark, even if you know you'd be like, oh, I want to finish this chapter. Mm-hmm. If my mum said, game down, mm-hmm. I'd get quite angry. Yeah, like, so no, yeah. I'm into this. I, I, I think I'm near the end. I've got to finish it. Or, mm-hmm. or I've not hit a safe spot yet. And I get quite angry about that. There were moments when she just flipped it off and <laughs> said, bed. Mm-hmm. And like, that was that. And like, I'd be really angry <laughs> and I'd soak to bed. Mm-hmm. So did you get a sense of euphoria playing the game when you complete those levels? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, God, yeah. And it, it spurred me to do more. I mean... The game itself, they wanted you to be quite social with other people mm. because if you bought game blue or game red, certain those certain games had only certain Pokemon mm-hmm. and you had to get those particular games to get those Pokemon. Like um, there's two bug type in what was called the Safari Zone. Blue could get the Pokemon Pinsir and red could get the Pokemon Scyther. Sorry, so, so is that something where if, if two people have the game, they're able to interact with each other, two human people? Yeah, you'd get a connecting wire. You'd mm-hmm. both have Game Boys. One person would have blue, one person would have red. Mm-hmm. And not only could you actually fight each other with the Pokemon you've both built up, mm-hmm. so it's no longer in-game people, AI. 
it's an actual person you're fighting against, mm-hmm. which I think brings a new level of stakes to it and mm-hmm. more more competition. Well, and I guess I think that maybe links into what the creator's idea was of trying to people being so connected to their devices, but wanting to connect people together. And so finding a way to get the devices yeah. to make people connect. And I guess I wanted to end on this, but the idea of the new Pokemon Go game, where yes. people, people playing on their phones, like I still go into fields and see people like with their phones out talking to people they've never met before. And it seems to me that that's almost like the ultimate version of what was originally envisioned because you've now got to get people on their devices, which we're using more than ever, yeah. but you're getting people actually to go out physically into the real world, engage with other people and sort of get away from the stresses of an industrial world. Yeah, it's, it's a fantasy. Yeah. Um, it is an escapism. Uh, uh, going to Pokemon Go, I mean, they, they've done this with Game Boys, they've done this with the Pokemon cards, and now with Pokemon Go, they, they set up special events. Uh, in terms of Pokemon Go, I know they set up events like Trafalgar Square. Mm-hmm. Um, an announcement was either made via Pokemon Go, say, be here at this time, at this date, and rare Pokemon that you've not seen before will be you'll be able to catch them mm-hmm. or they'll set up special events where you can fight each other mm-hmm. and whoever wins will get a special prize and it's all done again how the show was which I believe if I'm correct the show came about because of the games mm. um, about sort of friendly competition it, yes you, you want to achieve it you want to win mm-hmm. but to walk away from the fight still friends even if you're just gonna pass in the wind Mm. it's all friendly here because you're there for the same reason you love what you're doing in this fantasy world Mm -hmm. and you you can just be like i remember when i did that or oh don't do that trust me i've been there do it do it like this Mm -hmm. um to achieve that but as you say the the social part of it is all there Mm. I've got quite actually an interesting quote from Simon Pegg. Oh. Where, so, talking about, um, I guess, the rise of, um, I guess, the way in which products which were originally designed for children are still being consumed by adults. Mm. So, this is quite long, so I'll see how it goes. Recent developments in popular culture were arguably predicted by the French philosopher and cultural theorist Jean Baudrillard in his book America, in which he talks about the infantilization of society. Put simply, this is the idea that as a society, we are kept in a state of arrested development by dominant forces in order to keep us more pliant. We are made passionate about things that occupied us as children as a means of drawing our attentions away from the things we should really be invested in, inequality, corruption, economic injustice, etc. It makes sense that when faced with the awfulness of the world, the harsh realities that surround us, our instinct is to seek comfort. And where else were the majority of us most comfortable than our youth? a time when we were shielded from the painful truths by our recreational passions, the toys we played with, the games we played, the comics we read. There was probably more discussion on Twitter about The Force Awakens and the Batman vs Superman trailers than there were about the Nepalese earthquakes or the British general election. So, I mean, it's something I think about where it's, you, there's lots of stuff that I consume where I'm still like, this is the thing that I was consuming 15 years ago. There might be the creators behind it might be skewing it to an adult sensibility, but is there a point where actually, like, our parents' generation didn't do this? It's, yeah, like, in the way that I can sort of list the history of fantasy mm. worlds, but couldn't do that about the UK. Yeah. And I think there's, I don't know. There's a, Some might consider it a small sadness, mm-hmm. because, like in school, uh, history, also, uh, I learned a hell of a lot about World War Two, mm-hmm. yet not so much about World War One. Mm-hmm. Maybe things were touched upon it. Normally, I, from my memory on what I was taught, World War One came into the factor on how it kind of sprung into World War Two. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like political views and like the world's needs, mm-hmm. I I think as some of our parents' generation maybe a bit younger, but more our generation, as we start entering more adulthood, entering maybe what inspired us as children, like um, some people as a child loved comics, loved Mm -hmm. cartoons. Mm -hmm. They now become a comic book artist or a storyteller, Mm -hmm. um, now become a television cartoon show host. Mm -hmm. Um, Try and use 
these forms of media to obviously not take away from what made them beloved show as it was what they enjoyed as a child Mm -hmm. but maybe subtly use that to drop little things and say this is how the world is how can we solve it yeah and it's it's definitely in the same way that we've looked at the possibility of taking on gender assumptions Mm. through the show there's clearly an importance in media and the way that we consume it i guess it's like even stuff like in a post star wars world like if you look at the films that make so much money now they are films that were that are predominantly children's films or comic book films Mm. and you compare that to even something like the the godfather which was quite pop is like is a film for adults and those aren't the films that most people are seeing now mm. and i think and it's it is I, I find it really difficult to understand because i i'm someone who loves those films but then there is an element of me where i i, it, I don't know and equally like that's not to say that uh like clearly cartoons and comic books as a medium in themselves mm. in of themselves are can be for adults i don't think there's anything that's is stopping that but it's when we're still I don't know, the amount of energy that I put into these things, which could be, be- better suited to, I don't know, I, I, it's something I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, you, you can also kind of, um, I mean, go into some of that, that quote from Simon Pegg. Like, we'll have massive discussions about films like Star Wars, um, like Batman v Superman, yet we won't talk about real issues like earthquakes. Mm-hmm. And it's it's... Sometimes I think, um, using a, a, a sports analogy, mm-hmm. loads of people love football. Mm-hmm. Loads of people have fans, football fans, have thoughts and opinions how their home team, their beloved team mm-hmm. should play, mm-hmm. who they should have on the team um, and who that they shouldn't have on the team. Mm-hmm. And I remember a comedian, and I, f- I want to say like Lee Evans mm-hmm. might have used it as a joke, like everyone screaming at the coach uh saying the manager saying what are you doing how can you do that and then all of a sudden the manager just stops and be like right you you lead this team and all of a sudden the person in the in the joke sort of like shrinks in on themselves like Mm -hmm. the comedian physically makes himself smaller loses the uh booming voice and like just hit the ball in the net and you kind of see like the the role of when they physically portray the managers almost like sarcastically does the slow clap and um i kind of i'm bringing that up because it's like do you have the knowledge to speak about these things to have an opinion mm-hmm. i can't remember i saw someone else make a almost the opposite point i guess where it's I, me and another football person mm. can discuss football with like a degree of sophistication where we can understand like quite nuanced parts of the game. But yet we, if you threw that out to us on a political level, we wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah. And perhaps we, we would never get to a point where we'd be able to manage the team, but we could get to a point where we could have a, a somewhat of an understanding of it to a far higher degree than we could politically. And it's, I guess there's loads of things that contribute to that in terms of the way that political debate is portrayed to us and made to seem more confusing than perhaps it is. Yeah. And the way that you're talking about in schools, like I just feel like the fact that I wasn't taught about how parliament works in schools, I think oh. is just bizarre. Or like the voting system or like it's... But if you got to a point where, yeah, I, I might not be able to run the team or run the country, but if I am... Um, able to engage in politics in the same way that I do football, that would be a healthier society, I think. Well, I think it would definitely be a healthier society when people are able to, because, yeah, have Have an understanding of what they're voting for. Yeah. I guess. I mean, yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, You can't build a house without the right tools. It's Mm -hmm. the same with knowledge. Mm -hmm. You can't make a right decision. Um, In terms of, like, natural disasters or political disasters, Mm -hmm. we might have the simple answer in it in terms of which is kind of what I think is mainly portrayed to us as a child through like cartoons or whatever child media. What's good, what's bad, what's healthy, what's not. Yet when you become an adult and politics being quite centered of that is the middle ground, is the gray area, Mm -hmm. is yes, we know this is the right thing, but we can't do that Mm -hmm. for this reason or we know this is a bad reason, 
and we're trying to avoid that because we want to go over here to the good side, but we might have to touch on the bad even a little bit to do the good. Mm -hmm. And then it's like from an outsider perspective or from a child's view, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, with a simple knowledge of good, evil, right and wrong. Mm -hmm. Or don't do the bad. Yeah. Just don't. Just do the good. And so I um, I rewatched Lord of the Rings recently for an episode of this. Oh, yeah. And in the, actually in the last episode, I was then talking about um, my sort of confusion about sort of the bombardment of information. And I thought there was a really interesting scene in Lord of the Rings where um, there is some confusion as the best way to proceed. Mm. And Gandalf makes a, I guess, a controversial decision where if you were someone living in that world, you wouldn't know that was the right choice. Yeah. But as a viewer of the film, you know Gandalf is right because Gandalf is the wise wizard dude. And it's kind <laughs> of like, that's, I had a degree of comfort watching that because you had someone who you knew was right from before the before the outcome has even happened you know they're right yeah and um, that doesn't exist in the real world and there's such a i have such a sense of not knowing what's the best way to proceed and I, that's scary in of itself and that's why well, well i need more information to be able to make decisions i guess yeah <laughs> so i think basically the conclusion is this podcast is inherently unhealthy because we're focusing <laughs> on the uh, nostalgia of the past and uh pop culture items rather than focusing on the current political situation i guess i mean that's quite a heavy note to end on so i've got one one extra thing so when i rushed here before that i checked twitter and pokemon was trending oh and do you know why that is uh, i don't i can only assume it is through pokemon go it's actually because the trailer for um detective pikachu the film oh. has, has been released so I was thinking maybe we could uh, quickly watch that trailer and get your immediate response to how you feel about this. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so what do you think of that? I have mixed feelings. <laughs> the child nostalgia rose up. Mm -hmm. uh, like the fact that they're doing a Pokemon movie again. Mm -hmm. uh, thoroughly enjoyed the fact that Ryan Reynolds is voicing Pikachu and bring a sense of humor to the film i found him distracting though i felt like it Do was too you? obviously ryan reynolds and i was some stuff on twitter i don't know if this was actually offered to him but um someone was saying that uh, people wanted danny devito and i think that, that oh, would have been no no that'd have been great no <laughs> um no not as the voice i mean oh god no that that would have been distracting it would have felt out of place um i suppose the they're taking pikachu with a bit of cockiness mm -hmm. and i only get that from ryan reynolds voice mm -hmm. So will you go and see it, or will you start a political revolution in your spare time instead? No, I'm not going to start a political revolution. <laughs> I will probably go see it, but I won't be in a rush to see it. There will be other things I will see. And if I don't see it, I'm not going to be upset about it. Fair. All right, well, I think that's everything I've got. So, um, yeah. Uh, well, cheers to you, Dan. That's all right. It's been a pleasure being different. I know I've rambled on, but... Uh... <laughs> I don't know. I'll cut it all Oh, you're going <laughs> to...